Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. From the Wall Street Journal, this is Instant Message. I'm David Pierce. I'm also David Pierce. Nah, this is Joanna Stern. Say, say, and I'm Christopher Mims. I'm what? You have to say, and I'm Christopher Mims. This week on the show, David is in Hong Kong at the journal's DLive Asia event. It's where tech executives and business leaders talk technology in the U.S. and Asia and really just drink a lot of alcohol and hang out and talk about data, trust, and privacy. This leads us to the latest chapter in Facebook's long, 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 long running privacy saga. Coming up, a look back at Facebook's privacy problems. But let's talk about the latest. This week, the journal got into how Facebook uncovered emails that appeared to connect CEO Mark Zuckerberg to potentially problematic privacy problems. Joining me is Christopher Mims from Baltimore. Hi. I'm so excited to talk about problematic privacy problems. Yeah, problematic privacy problems. Everyone needs to say that three times fast and email email us the files. Yeah, for and sure. And email. We need to do everything in email. <laughs> Why has this industry not learned yet that you should just not send emails? Never do anything uh, where they can find it. I feel like on that note, basically they're about to learn the lesson that uh, the entire banking industry <laughs> learned, which uh, I mean, took some significant regulation. But you know, as soon as everybody knew that there was federal legislation saying that every single email conversation and, and even text message and other forms of communication was being recorded and was someday going to be legally actionable, I, I feel like they all wised up and were like, let's take this outside. Why has Hillary Clinton not gone on like a tour of Silicon Valley just telling people not to use emails? <laughs> or, or not use email. It's a great question. I mean, why hasn't she just written reason. a book called Emails mm, and yeah. just told the world about what goes wrong when you do anything in email? Yeah, especially, I can't imagine. Yeah. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this scoop. Do you want to explain to us, Christopher, what happened here? So apparently, parties who know saw emails, saw an email thread, I think, with Mark Zuckerberg on it, where after the FTC had come after Facebook and was like, stop violating people's privacy, there was some kind of chain about Facebook internally discovering an app where they had scraped millions of people's data and then could display it to anyone they wanted or share with anyone they wanted. And Zuckerberg weighed in and was like, uh, is this really possible? And then possibly checked out of the thread and did not aggressively follow up on this very disturbing possibility. All of this, of course, is going to, I think, become public at some point if the FTC decides to take Facebook to court. So the big uh, what if, the big hypothetical right now is, is Facebook going to quickly settle with the FTC, possibly giving them billions more dollars? I don't want to call it hush money, but just to hurry this process up. Or is the FTC, on the other hand, going to bow to pressure from lawmakers and internal pressure and take Facebook to court? And then we get to see all these emails in Discovery, which will be, I Wonderful. think, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> truly epic. <laughs> yeah, because I keep wondering, like, what is the worst that comes out of the FTC investigation for Facebook? Is it that they have to, like, pay them half their market cap? Or is it that they, that all of this stuff comes out? I mean, if FTC hits them with a record fine, I mean, at this point, like, FTC fines are like, oh, $10 million to Google here, $100 right. million maybe. Like, I think their record fine against Google was, like, 
less than $100 million. So let's say they go full AU, EU, like full Margaret Vestager, and they hit them with like a 2 or $3 billion fine. It's still a rounding error to Facebook. Like it doesn't mean anything. And, and frankly, I think from Facebook's perspective, it's worth that money just to make this go away. So that's why there might be pressure to mm-hmm. um, bring a lawsuit. Uh, because then, you know, transparency is the ultimate disinfectant. We all get to see what was going on behind the curtain and then decide for ourselves. And lawmakers get to decide for themselves about what they want to do as a result. Yeah, because I keep wondering, I mean, this was obviously a a big scoop and exclusive for the journal. I mean, the journal broke this story. But I kind of also was when I was reading, I was like, why does this matter? I mean, I mean, I am interested in to your your answer why it matters. But to me, I sort of think that we know Mark Zuckerberg was like complicit in a lot of these things. But like, is this the type of proof they really want about the CEO? Is that is that why it's like sort of the biggest deal? Yeah, I wonder, right? Because that was another interesting detail that Facebook has really pushed back on holding Mark Zuckerberg personally liable. I mean, look, I am not holding my breath given what happened during the financial crisis where, you know, I think one dude went to jail. Like if you can... Uh, you know, almost crash the world economy and, you know, walk away with your uh, country club membership and your golden parachute intact. I, I have uh, little hope that um, we're going to be any more punitive with a CEO like Mark Zuckerberg. But, you know, just the threat of that, I'm sure keeps him up at night. I also was wondering when I read this, who else was on the chain, right? <laughs> oh, like who was, who was BCC'd on this email? <laughs> oh, man. I... I and, and given what we already know about how much user data Facebook was uh, knowingly and possibly unknowingly, if we're being charitable, leaking to app developers, I mean, I'm sure it, it, it was an amazing moment of reckoning for them like, oh, like the feds are finally here. And what exactly have we been doing in the name of growth? Yeah. So I'm just, okay, I have a question for you. So you just wrote about how Apple is leaking all of this data through apps. And I feel like this situation is is frankly remarkably close to that situation because it, the issue here wasn't that wasn't what Facebook was doing with the data. It was that they were letting uh, you know all the developers that integrate with their platform grab all of this data. So I mean it's is is what Apple does so different? I mean, I was arguing, well, I wasn't arguing, but my piece was a lot more about how, yes, Apple controls this platform and the app developers are grabbing data about what you're doing in those apps in ways that you're not really aware of. Um, They may try to skirt around, part of the piece was also how they try to skirt around privacy uh, controls, whether that be location, they'll figure out a different way to get your location. Oh, you turned off uh, cookie tracking here, well, then we'll just get you in the app. We'll we'll figure out some way to get you um, in a way that you probably didn't expect it or even know about. So yeah, I guess in, in a lot of ways, I've felt like the platforms, whether that be in my case, when I was working on this story was Apple, or if it's Google on Android or any of the other platforms that Google controls, or Microsoft with Windows or Apple with Mac. And what responsibilities do the platforms have to secure and to make users aware that these other apps that run on their platforms are grabbing your data in ways that you may not know? So, yeah, I, I, I mean, that's a long-winded way of saying I, it feels a little different, but it also feels pretty similar in the sense that they're just both the platforms. Yeah, well, they're both just the platforms. And regardless of intent, you know, through, you know, whether it's deliberate or whether it's 
uh, I don't want to say negligent, but unintentional. In both cases, they're letting these third parties grab a bunch of your data and you don't even know about it. I mean, is it a matter of degree? Like, does it, I mean, maybe Facebook, it seems like Facebook is maybe letting some of these developers grab more data. Although I don't know, you know, because Apple's letting these apps grab your location data. And I realize some of that is against their rules, but it's still happening is the point, right? Like these apps weren't audited properly. Right. I mean, they all, look, with Facebook's case, they seem to have some pretty malleable privacy policies, it feels like. In Apple's case, Apple's very clear that they have privacy guidelines. And if an app developer is not abiding by those and is in breach of whatever the contract they signed with Apple, then they will take whatever measures they need to to protect the user, whether that be getting the app maker to change its ways Banning the app maker from the app store uh, depends on level of of um, harm, I guess, or of, of infraction, if that's the right word there. I'm just not as clear. I've never really been as clear on what Facebook's um, sort of agreements are with the app developers. You know, in certainly actually when I was reporting on the story of uh, on the apps and I found that one app was sending ch- uh, children's data to Facebook, they were like, this is against our privacy policy or this is against our policies with developers. This We, we don't do anything with this, but this 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 developer would be not abiding by those rules. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the main difference here is that when this happened, Facebook was already uh, under a consent decree right. from the FTC. Right. And it seemed like, I mean, we don't have the text of the actual emails, but it seems like in what wasn't said or what was said, there seemed to be enough here that is making people very worried. I mean, I can't help but wonder, like, if we game this out, like, what the worst case and the best case is. Like, I guess the best case is for Facebook is they pay some money and then this gets settled, right? But what's the worst case? Like, what should happen when these companies play fast and loose with our privacy? I mean, it really, now it's been fines, right? Hasn't it just been fines? Right. I mean, I guess... I guess part of like what I'm going for is 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 that um, right Elizabeth Warren uh, yeah. took out that billboard in Silicon Valley saying like break up big tech. I kind of wonder if the sort of ultimate fear here is that you know far worse than a fine could be a building up a consensus on multiple grounds. A company like Facebook just you know can't be trusted, and so more drastic action has to be taken. Yeah, and, and you just recently wrote about that and what what could happen around the antitrust suits. What I find is really, really interesting right now is that the companies, and you write a little bit about this in that piece, is that the Facebooks of the world and Googles and Amazons right now are very much like, we don't need to be broken up to be regulated. And they're on the flip side saying, we're all for regulation. And I think they all have been, we're, we're all for privacy regulation, right? Like in this case, or even in the case of what's going on, what I've reported on the, the apps in the app store is like, we would want some of this, the, the big tech companies are saying, we would want some of this to be against the law so the developers, their feet are held to the fire by the law, not by our own guidelines. Yeah, that's that's a good point, right? Like they're, they're, they've said, you know, in op-eds and elsewhere, like we shouldn't necessarily be the ones making the decisions. Um, like this really should be, you know, lawmakers codifying this, um, which is true enough. But I also wonder if part of it is just whenever there is any kind of challenging or intrusive regulation, I mean, let's 
be honest, like it favors the biggest players in whatever mm -hmm. industry. Again, we saw it in banking, same thing in healthcare. Like you become a highly regulated industry and suddenly like you, you have to be big to comply with all those regulations. Like I do sometimes wonder if there's a part of this that's a bit cynical where it's like, sure, regulate us. Like that will only cement our hold on this market. Whereas, you know, breaking them up could potentially have the opposite effect. Right. I wanted but to don't say that on Twitter or a million venture capitalists will descend on your mentions like locusts and tell you why you're wrong. Yeah. Twitter's <laughs> a, not a, it's not a nice place sometimes. Um, no one's calling for a breakup of Twitter. <laughs> it's just one unitary thing. What would you break off? You'd be like, um, mentions that needs to be a separate company. <laughs> Direct messaging that doesn't usually work. That should be another separate company. Yeah, that should be a separate company that will immediately um, go bankrupt. All right. Anything else to add here before we take a trip down memory lane? Mm -mm, not that a I trip down of. Facebook memory lane? Memory, memory lane? Do We're we all the some, greatest hits. Do we have some memory music here? Like some Barbara Streisand? <laughs> okay memories yeah coming up fond fond memories a look back at facebook's privacy problems this message comes from viking committed to exploring the world in comfort journey through the heart of europe on an elegant viking longship with thoughtful service destination focused dining and cultural enrichment on board and on shore and every viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos discover more at viking.com Welcome back. If you've been listening for the last number of months, the podcast has discussed Facebook's continuous data and privacy issues over and over and over and over and just keep repeating the word over again. In March, the journal published an investigation in how Facebook collects data on its users. We learned that you don't even have to be using Facebook. Our reporters found that at least 11 popular apps were sharing data from how pregnant you are to your heart rate without you even knowing. WSJ's Sam Schechner joined us to dissect it all. Hello. Sam, so like how did this story come about? Well, we were, I mean, this is months ago now, we were trying to figure out, you know, what we could do to look at this broader ecosystem. It didn't start out as a, as a Facebook project. Um, we wanted to look at where apps were sending data. I had this idea, not, not my idea, uh, you know, from reading lots of uh, smart people, that you know, there were a lot of third-party SDKs built into all of the apps that we use. And so we were curious you know, which ones were getting what kinds of data and what they were doing with it. That's when we set about to try to start testing apps, you know, simple proxy server really um, in our own network and started lists of all the different uh, places that each app contacted. And that's when we started noticing the traffic to Facebook. Okay, so two things in there I actually want to want to tease out. So it, this SDK thing that you're talking about ends up figuring sort of prominently in the story, uh, but I feel like it's sort of a complicated techie thing that not a lot of people understand. Can you explain like what an SDK is and how it ends up in an app you might be using even if you don't necessarily know about it? Well, developers, you know, uh, want to build all kinds of functionality into their app. So let's say I want to, you know, have something that will help me navigate my users around my store. I don't know how to do anything with geolocation or, you know, Bluetooth beacons or whatever you might do to to guide people around my store. So I go to some company that makes a geolocation software development kit, and that's what SDK stands for. And either some of them make them for free, 
maybe in return for my data. Some of them charge money. So let's say I buy one, you know, and I pay a license fee and then I integrate their code, that SDK into my app. And apps will have you know, anywhere from 19 to 30 different SDKs built into them. It's, it, you know, it's totally possible to code it all yourself, but it's just a feature of the modern modern world that a lot of developers say, oh, well, I'll just get the best analytics tool from over here. And I want to integrate, you know, Google's ads into my app. And I, I want Facebook's ads too. So, oh, and I want Facebook's login and Twitter's login. And so you integrate all these SDKs into your into your app. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the SDKs, there's nothing really to stop the SDKs from having access to the same information that the app has access to. They're just part of the app. It's as if I had a bionic arm. I mean, it's it's it becomes part of my body. Presumably, the these app companies or these app makers were using Facebook's backend tools for various other things, and they didn't even necessarily care if they were trying to find their users on Facebook, right? Exactly. I mean, the added advantage if you were a Facebook user is that these apps could then say, "Okay, I want uh, to buy an ad for you know everybody." who is ovulating today. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, we, we have no proof that they did that. Although I did uh, sign up for uh, a, a few apps as a uh, making myself somewhat shorter and fatter than, than uh, I actually am. And I got a Facebook ad encouraging me to exercise once with a silhouette of a very short fat person. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think that some of them might be using this data to target ads on Facebook. But if you are not a user, you, that data still turns up in the in the stats on Facebook that, uh, that the apps have access to. And so we have this story our colleague uh, Katie Binley wrote about basically even if you disable all this stuff on Facebook, like basically still going to track you. I mean, that's the top line summary is like there's no way to get away from Facebook. I've been sort of thinking even if I leave Facebook, I don't get away from them. It seems like your story kind of also supports that. I think that's that's true. Um, You know, what we what is still opaque uh, to a lot of people is, you know, what they actually do with the data for, for non-users. Mm-hmm. I mean, fa- Facebook says, and they've been asked, you know, eight different ways by 12 different, you know, legislatures, <laughs> practically. What do you do? Do you have shadow profiles? Mm-hmm. And and they basically say that they use the data for non-users to either, A, provide these analytics for apps, you know, just for the users of that app, or for security purposes to make sure that, you know, it's not a bot. Uh uh, or, you know, to show them just kind of untargeted Facebook house ads or other untargeted ads based on context, but not not, you know, building a behavioral profile. But, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard to hard to prove that that's the case. And in any case, there are definitely other outfits that have their SDKs built into apps that don't have that kind of rule. I mean, they're not even a social network for you to be a member of in the first place. And Mm -hmm. they're certainly tracking you. And they're built into all sorts of apps. And, you know, even if you aren't sharing your uh, advertiser ID, some of them uh, somewhat illegitimately get other ways of fingerprinting your device. So you, you can be tracked, you know, even if you're super trying to be super careful about it. What I had trouble with reading the story was uh, figuring out how much this is the system working the way it's supposed to versus somebody breaching the system. Like you have this sort of semi-outraged response from Facebook saying, this is not how this is supposed to be. And then you have a bunch of the companies saying, well, yeah, I guess we do that. It's, it's probably fine. And then a bunch have changed their policies. And then it just it seems like I couldn't get a, a handle on to what extent this was sort of somebody abusing the system or if if 
this is just using the system the way that it was designed. What's what's your sense of that? I, mean, I think that's a super good point, you know, because in fact, it's it's a little bit of both. And that's the tension, right? I mean, Facebook, one of Facebook's responses is, listen, this is standard industry procedure uh, to, to share this data. And to an extent that's true, that raises the question of, well, should it be? Can you guys just imagine if when uh, The Jungle came out, the response was like, well, but everybody grinds this into their sausage. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sam, you've gotten a lot of feedback on this piece, too, and a lot of things have, have sort of set in motion and started to change. Like, have you seen anything that, that seems like a sort of a significant departure from the way that things were before, either from Facebook learning how to talk about this stuff or others? Well, I, I certainly got a lot of reader feedback with people saying, oh, no, Facebook is definitely listening to my microphone. That was about <laughs> half of half of the reader feedback. I, got. I still get that uh, email from from the piece I wrote a year ago. Well, I, I keep sending them your story. I mean, I was like talking people off the ledge. Um, <sighs> you know, I, I mean, I, I, I don't actually know that it's not true, but I, I tend to, to think that it is probably more efficient ways for them to make these guesses. But I mean, people were telling me very bizarre stories about, know. you know. I got the financial I was gonna write aid an, or yeah. I got the weirdest stories too. Like there, like people were going out to a field and and talking about things, and they were making sure there were no microphones around. But then they would still get the ad. Like the most bizarre stories. Yeah, Facebook is bugging the cornfields now. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Great yeah, story thanks, too. thanks for having me. The very next week, Facebook took over the podcast yet again. This time, CEO Mark Zuckerberg wrote a big blog post about privacy, encryption, and the future of Facebook. There was a lot to unpack here. Did you guys, have you guys read this blog post? So it's a like 3,200 word, sort of vague, but sort of useful opus from Mark Zuckerberg on privacy and Facebook. Have you guys read it? We're going to do a live reading now. In a time when privacy was under threat. Keep going. This is great. Mm -hmm. You've already done it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Go on. This is the movie a version lone of warrior this. named Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> the Social Network too. Uh, okay, oh so God. Christopher, you've been reporting and writing about this. So can you like, what's the thirty second version of this thirty two hundred word blog post? This really, it's weird. It felt like an internal memo to his team. Reading it, I just kept thinking, who is the audience? And I think it is him just signaling publicly all the Facebook staff that they need to go make Facebook feel private now. So the 30 second version is they had a bunch of scandals. Nobody trusts them anymore or some people don't trust them anymore and they want to regain that trust. Okay. And so the thing that struck me was it seems like he's less talking about Facebook as it exists now that like that will continue to exist. Uh, My first reading of it was we are changing Facebook entirely. And I realized like that's not actually what he's talking about. Like Facebook and Instagram will sort of continue to be as they are. But he's talking about wanting to build this whole other thing, a more private, small group social networking experience. Is that your read of it too? Yes, there is a very vague line in there about how we need to rethink sort of all of the whole platform in a privacy way, but it was so nonspecific that I felt like he was just sort of leaving the door open to the possibility of someday changing the main Facebook product and the newsfeed. But that definitely wasn't his emphasis. Like He said WhatsApp 14 times in this wow. 3,200 word memo, he said payments four times. 
Mm. Uh, so his focus is clearly on creating this end-to-end -end encrypted messaging service like WeChat in China or like iMessage in the US, which I think he really, at one point he said this really odd thing in an interview with uh, Wired Editor-in-Chief Nick Thompson, which was, you know, we are not the number one messaging app in the US. And then I went and looked it up and it's like, yes, you are. Facebook Messenger, number one messaging app in the US, according to, you know, multiple services. Number two, WhatsApp, what's he talking about? I think he's talking about iMessage, which of course is an app in its own right, but because I think analysts view it as, you know, just an SMS alternative sort of, uh, it doesn't get included in these indexes of top messaging apps. So I think he is really gunning for Apple on this. He said payments a bunch. And so I think that he sees Apple Pay, he sees what WeChat has become this whole interface for your entire life in China. And he wants to I think in some ways copy that, make the American version of that, get us trusting Facebook again so that we're all on this same unified, unitary messaging platform. And eventually it's how we are connecting with individuals, connecting with businesses, paying each other. So I think that's the direction he's pushing. So it's really, once again, more Facebook and not less. I yeah. also, by but the way, when you were saying that I did a search for how many times he said SMS in here, and because I'm using this on my iPhone, I think it's three or four and is in your in your research did did you find that SMS is actually still the number one messaging platform? I don't know. I didn't look. I, I just know. I wonder that, if that's. Um, I mean, in the U.S., yeah. if that might be what he's referring to. You're right. It could be that he's just talking about SMS itself. You're right about that. Which to me signals, like you said, uh, some sort of assault on Apple and iMessage, more Facebook more ways to connect the private messaging between iPhones, Android phones, and whatever other devices we're going to be using in the future in this private social network world. Apple's best response to this would be to release an iMessage app for Android. I yeah, I mean, it would was... be the ultimate FU from Tim, sorry, from <laughs> Tim Apple today, you know. Tim Apple. Honestly, after this, I feel like if Facebook gained any traction, Apple might actually do that. I like it. <laughs> It didn't end there. At the time, Katie Binley had learned a lot about how the Facebook ad world works and joined us with her big experiment to see what she could do to affect the ads she saw and how to feel less creeped out by Facebook's advertising. There are things you can do, kind of. Just tell us what you've been doing. You went through a bunch of like specific experiments to see how you could affect your ads. Yeah. What so, were the craziest ones you went through? Well, so it started basically with um, just looking up random stuff that I felt like I shouldn't be in the target demographic of. So I spent a lot of time Googling like men's golf clubs. <laughs> urns was one of them. Like cool. I'm in the market for an urn. Let's see if I can make Facebook think that. Uh, I'm trying to think if they're right. Oh, and then so then I started being like, all right, wait, pregnancy is a pretty good one because like even though I, I'm 37, but I'm single, like I'm not, I don't usually see pregnancy ads and I've actually taken a lot of steps to not see them. So I was like, all right, let's see what happens if I download the What to Expect app, like kind of kept an eye on my Instagram feed and, uh, you know, with 11 hours almost on the dot, I got an ad for Hatch Gal and there's like this, you know, very happy woman sitting in kind of like a boho chic maternity dress and she's got her hand resting on her, you know, swollen belly and it was like, oh, hey mama, you, you know, like need to get get our 30% off deal or whatever it was. And I was like, okay, there we go. We got one. Um, so that's that's what happened. And you had, and for that step, you had also turned off something in iOS, right? You turned off the yes, limit ad yes. tracking. 
Yes, thank you for mentioning that. I forgot about that. Yeah, so what that's supposed to do is, you know, make my mobile advertising ID unavailable to developers. Um, because if I, if I hadn't done that, it would have made, it would have been like a very easy connection to draw. It would have been like, all right, well, you know, they've got my mobile advertising ID and then Facebook got that. But in this case, I had that supposedly blocked. So thus began this, you know, sort of <laughs> investigation into why I saw that ad, which was, it was it was an unsatisfying investigation in the sense of there was not I, I did not feel like people were eager to help me figure this out. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, Facebook looked into it for me, which was nice of them, and they told me that I was um, I was targeted because I was in a lookalike audience, which I've realized that that is uh, uh, bo- both of the ads that I looked in uh, that I had them look into for me. I was in a quote lookalike audience for. Which, when they say lookalike audiences, they they mean like women eighteen mm-hmm. to fifty four. It's so hard to talk about this stuff, I feel like, without either feeling like you're talking about a conspiracy theory yes. or not. It just doesn't seem like there are – like if, if someone at Facebook who is helping you knows the answer, they're not going to tell you. Your no, kicker, no. which is like, must have been a coincidence, <laughs> yeah, right, is so, so good. good because like that's what we've been hearing basically. like. Right. You know, must have been a coincidence you were talking about this thing. Okay, I I did a lot of reporting on the mic thing last year, and I, I, I do not feel confident that they are listening to our mic. I think it, it would be much harder to parse mic or audio information than all of the other information that you detail so well, Katie, in the piece that they have. So, like, it, you often hear from either the companies or from Facebook, it's a coincidence that you bought X, Y, and Z, and then we got you this. Or it's a coincidence that you downloaded this thing and you got this. Like, there are too many other signals tying these things together that it should it be a coincidence. Well, the other thing that um, I think is you know, the other thing I saw a lot of people uh, replying to when I when I posted my story on Twitter were you know people saying like it's the frequency illusion or I forget if it's frequency or mm-hmm. recency yeah, illusion yeah, yeah. or whatever. There's some like syndrome that yes, comes with yes. it, and I am like completely um, you know willing to acknowledge that there are times when I was talking mm-hmm. about something and I saw an ad for it, and I probably noticed the ad because I was just talking about right. it. Whereas so, you don't notice the million yeah. other ads that right, aren't relevant. but. So, so yeah, so that explains some of these things, but that this is sort of why mm-hmm. the pregnancy one is so perfect because I would have noticed pregnancy ads because I don't see them and because like, you know, it's just that that's the kind of thing that I know, I just know I would notice because I'd be like, ah, I don't really want to see like this kind of thing mm-hmm. right now at this stage of my life or whatever. Um I don't buy the you illusion know, so, thing, by the way. Like, that was the same no. argument last year when the <laughs> the mic thing was happening and everyone was saying it. And it was like, yeah, but there are too many of these ads that I'm seeing that are really relevant and are based on things that I did. So, like, yes, I'm seeing them. And maybe because I, like, heard that thing, I'm more paying attention to this ad. But then I also, like, even over the last year, just notice how many ads in my feed now are relevant. Like, I am very – and we were talking about this last week – like, there are many ads in my feed where I'm like, that's interesting or that's interesting. And someone <laughs> actually that works on our video team, she was like, I buy things all the time on Instagram based on ads. They know me so well. Mm. If you believe <laughs> Facebook that all of this is true and that 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 data is not being collected because you walked into the store, right? That that it's like if you know enough of the the details around what I'm doing and who else is doing those things and like you can gather all this data without knowing the specifics about where I'm standing at any given point. And like, I, Joanna, your headline on that story last fall was something like Facebook isn't spying on your mic because it doesn't need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's true. And I think like that as even as Facebook wants to talk more and more about privacy and encryption, like the, the 
part of me that thinks all of this is sort of a delightful ruse to give Facebook a PR win thinks that like maybe Facebook doesn't need to read my messages to keep selling me these no. incredibly good ads. If Facebook can track us in this way, the question that always comes up is, well, how else can this mm -hmm. data be used? How does it get out? Who else can track us like this, right? Like, so Facebook just yeah. wants to target us, target us with ads, but you know, can people on our um, enemies list, which I know we all have, uh, someday track us this way, or can like governments track us this way? That sense of unease, like, wow, I really am carrying a tracking device around in my pocket, and this seems innocent enough now, but will it always be this innocent? Congratulations, yeah. by the way, Katie. <laughs> Thank you so much. My fake baby is due August 16th, which is my mother's birthday. And since I haven't Aww. given her any grandchildren yet, I thought I could give her a fake one. So exciting. Follow an Instagram account of your text with your mom, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> but only if it's encrypted. And more recently, just a few weeks ago, just after Google and Facebook had their big developer conferences, they talked a lot of privacy. They're saying, give us all your data, but you can totally trust us not to do bad stuff with it. We left off with not exactly knowing how to feel about that trade-off. I want to talk about this because you, you, Christopher, were, were yelling at me about this on Twitter last week, and I've been thinking about it ever since. So can you frame sort of the two sides of this debate? There was, there was these competing op-eds from uh, Mark Zuckerberg in the, the Journal and Sundar Pichai, Google CEO in The New York Times. Google and Facebook are talking about privacy, and they're sort of redefining this idea of how you should think about giving these companies your data. But can you sort of explain, Christopher, kind of what the trade-off here is that they're asking for? Well, it seems like Google uh, wants to give you privacy, just not from Google, um, which isn't totally unreasonable. I mean, that's sort of the cynical way to frame it. But at the end of the day, we all have a choice between like how functional are our services going to be? You know, that's directly proportional to how much data we want to give up. And then with Facebook, um, it seems more about their strategic shift to we want to kind of downscale the Facebook experience, if, if that's the way to put it, where we want it to be more intimate. We want smaller groups. So you're going to be giving up less of yourself in that context and be relating, I guess, in a more authentic way was the way that I saw it. But both of these felt like, I'm going to say this wrong, Rorschach, Rorschach, oh, Rorschach. Lots. Rorschach, there you go. Because, um, the, the the interpretations that I saw just were down to whatever someone's uh, level of trust of these companies uh, already is. So, so I would you're love saying to whatever, hear your what takes. They said is like everyone saw it differently. I feel like it, we're in a, we're in a really uh, difficult place right now where nobody that there's such a profound erosion of trust that um, even when they I think try to engage in these acts of public transparency, uh, it it sort of inevitably misses the mark because people's kind of. Uh, filter it through a pretty cynical lens. Yeah, I mean, my take, and David, I kind of feel like you were hinting at this in your intro, is like, this just felt like a marketing show for both companies. And when you really look at what the changes that were made, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Facebook's going to promote their groups a little bit more, and they're going to try to force you to more privacy, private messaging, and they've done better encryption and made that default. Maybe Google's released a couple of tools that they say now are not as buried. Maybe they're going to release another tool before the end of the year. But like 
all of it doesn't seem like some major strategic shift. It just seems like, oh, we should talk about privacy and we're going to market it really well. Right. Well, and it's, it strikes me as neither company wants less of your data, which I actually thought for a long time would be the pitch of like, they would come out and say, here is all the data we are no longer going to collect. And it's actually gone the other way, where they're both coming out and saying, actually, we still want tons of data. We want all of it. We just promise we're going to be more responsible with it, which is what falls to me on such sort of strangely deaf ears. But I've been reading these two op-eds side by side, and uh, it's very funny to me because Sundar's in the New York Times makes this sort of long, compelling case that Google needs your data in order to make its products good. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's the trade-off that I keep thinking about, where it's like, okay, if I give Google Maps access to my location all the time, there are creepy outcomes of that, but it also means the traffic data is going to be better uh, for me and for everyone. It means I'm going to get better results when I search for restaurants. Uh, It means Maps is going to be better. And it's the same with Search. It's the same with lots of different Google products. Uh, Whereas Facebook's only case for we need all of your data is people want relevant ads. Right. Which just does not work for me. That just does not fly. I just don't don't see that. Don't you just think they need some sort of like basic... level of human like therapeutic intervention <laughs> like really like i feel like what they need is like Im- like imago therapy or somebody to just shake them and be like start making eye statements like just take responsibility for ones like it's why do you have to be such a, an egomaniac yeah, but it's always I mean, about facebook damn it david i think what exactly i mean i think exactly what you're saying is that facebook's just like here's our here's what we do with your i mean it's they're basically and that's what we're gonna say like it's marketing like they're explaining their business models right like Right. And, and that was what Sundar, I think, mapped out really well, which is like, we take this information because it makes Google Assistant stronger, and you, but you still have control over all of these things, right? And we're going to make even better controls for you. But at the end of the day, I think, and I was actually having this conversation with Katie Binley yesterday about why we've given Google a bit of a pass in this whole hell-ish nightmare of privacy. And it's exactly mm-hmm. as you just described, right? Because your maps are better, and you use this as a utility, and you know you're giving your location data because... You are using maps versus Facebook when you didn't you thought you were giving your location data to check in someplace, but then it turns out like, no, we've just been following you everywhere. Right. Well, and then I think where we where that trade stops being fair, I feel like is is the question I can't wrap my head all the way around, right? Because it's like if I am giving you a bunch of my location information in exchange for maps being great and free and better because of my location information. I think I'm actually okay with that, um, as long as there aren't ramifications I don't know about, like giving my data to Cambridge Analytica to you know, give to whoever you want so that they can win elections. But then, somewhere down the road from it makes maps better to it makes the ads better to it's data that is just given to anyone who asks for it in order for a company to have leverage and influence elections and what I see in my newsfeed, that's where it falls apart. But it's like where along this line that stops being a good trade-off feels like the big question that I don't know the answer to. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if if either of you have changed where you feel like it falls. I mean, I think that there are some surveys that Mark Zuckerberg clearly hasn't read saying that people don't actually enjoy targeted advertising, that they find it creepy. I wish I could include this in the show notes. I got a targeted ad this morning that said, uh, it said, uh, old, it was something like, it was a t-shirt on Instagram and it was like, old guys born in June are the best. And like, <laughs> I had a on it. And I was like, wait, it was a talking <laughs> ad? A what? It was a talking ad? 
No, but that's the voice I used in my head. Uh, that's what the shirt said. The shirt said, old guys born in June are the best. And there was like a samurai on the shirt. It was a black t-shirt. And I was like, this is the most, I was like, this is absolutely the worst. Like, today. Are you born in June? Yeah. And I am an old guy. So it was like, I was like, well, okay, check and mate. Like you got me with your targeted ad, but I hate you. And I want to set your app on fire. This is the nadir of human civilization. That's it for the show. David is back next week, or I could just do my impression of him. David is back next week. Thanks for listening. We will have new episodes on Fridays, so make sure to subscribe to Instant Message wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk to you soon. The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective, Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed, and Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude.